Good morning. Sin is such an equalizing reality. It unifies the whole of the human race. Nevertheless, sin claims otherwise. It preaches that you are different and unlike others. It tells you that you are special, that you are better, that you are at another level. And sin does this because sin is by nature alienation. It is alienation from God and from others. It creates separation. The story of a guy that I will call Christian shows this to be the case. When Christian went to the Bible college, he was sincerely eager to learn how to develop <clears throat> spiritual disciplines that would have a long-lasting effect on his life, something actually good. So he would wake up every day at five in the morning to spend some time praying and reading uh, his Bible. He would find joy in doing this before his crazy day started. When some of the guys of the, in the dorm began to admire Christian for having such a strong character and such a great discipline, said to him, I wish I could be spiritually strong as you are. Oh, wow, you are such a man of God. Before you know, you know it, Christian became the most prideful guy in college. He began to think <clears throat> that he was better than his classmates because he was praying while they were still sleeping. He would even sincerely congratulate himself, saying, I really love God. So what one day started as something good became something evil. He started to look down on others and said to himself, there is no more godly, strong, dedicated, self-disciplined like a guy like me. I am at another level. Well, let me tell you that I was this prideful and arrogant guy. I was a very prideful college guy. My pride would touch every single good thing that I wanted to do for God. When I <clears throat> noticed my progress, my arrogance grew bigger and bigger, and I started to take credit for what only God's grace can produce. Sin was preaching its alienating nature to me, and I started to believe that my devotional life was all about me. I was thinking with an evil reasoning. And the text that we will consider uh, today speaks to this reality. So I will invite uh, Patty Sonseri to please come up and read the passage for us. Romans 3, verses 1 through 9. Then what advantage has the Jew, or what is the value of circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. 
What if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? By no means. Let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means. For then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie, God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do not evil, and why do, why not do evil that good may come? As some people slanderously charge us with saying, their condemnation is just. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greek, are under sin. This is the word of the Lord. Yeah, buddy. Today is uh, Doodle Sunday, which means that we have the kids uh, with us. Uh, kids, um, this is my first uh, Doodle Sunday, and I am very excited about it. And I want you to know that it is a privilege for me to address you uh, today. Thank you for being here. Uh, so I want uh, you to stay focused on what I'm going to say, and as much as possible, to be quiet. And if you have any questions, you can ask mom and, and dad. And here's the first uh, drawing that I want you to uh, draw. Uh, draw two people, one of them thinking he is better than the other. Okay? Draw two people, and one of them thinking he is better than the other. <clears throat> okay, in chapter one, after introducing the theme of his letter, the gospel of God, Paul has proved that Gentiles are guilty and deserve God's wrath. In chapter two, Paul proved also that his own people are guilty and deserving as well of God's wrath. He has demonstrated that Jews and Gentiles are sinners. And both groups are in the same box. And sin is the equalizing reality that unites both groups into one. The immediate reaction of each group is to justify themselves. Gentiles, on the one hand, justify themselves by saying, we didn't know that there was a God. We don't know his law. Why is he angry with us? Paul responds, you know God, and you actually have God's law written in your hearts. Jews, on the other hand, say, oh, we know God. Of course we know him. We have his law. We are, we are God's chosen people. So you see, one group justify themselves in their alleged ignorance, and the other in their supposed knowledge of God. But regardless of how each group justifies themselves, Paul concludes in chapter 2 that Jews and Gentiles are both lawbreakers. Both groups are covenant breakers. So in chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, Paul anticipates some objections to what he just said in chapter 2 about the Jews. And he imagines himself conversing with a smart Jew concerning their covenant 
uh, privileges and responsibilities. And in doing so, he opens a window for us to see how a love-lacking mind for God reasons about God's ways and proceeds. Now, I want you to notice that <clears throat> I want you to notice the progression in the line of arguments. Each argument that Paul is going to uh, try to answer builds on the previous one, going from less to more, and from bad to worse, and from dark to darker. So let us consider my first point uh, of the sermon today. Evil reasoning promotes alienation. Evil reasoning promotes alienation. The Jews had privileges that set them apart from the rest of the nations. Listen to what Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8 says about how God regarded uh, the people of Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. So Jews had a very special place in God's plan of redemption. Paul actually asserts that God has treated Israel in a very special way. But God's, God's special way of dealing with them didn't make them superior to anyone. In terms of their sinful state, Jews are not better than the rest of the world. They need God's grace to be saved as much as Gentiles. But in terms of God's way of dealing with them, they had several advantages that must be acknowledged. Verse 2 says that among those advantages, the main was that they were given the oracles of God, or the very words of God. In other words, the Jews were given God's special revelation, the Old Testament, including also the law. Matthew Henry says that they were, the Jews were, the Christian's library keepers. Now, kids, I want you to draw a second drawing. Um, and I will ask you to um, draw a Bible with a cross in its center. Draw a Bible with a cross in its center. Now, God's purpose in the... I hope that that was not a nod to the drawing. <laughs> now, God's purpose in the history of redemption uh, for Israel was that they were going to spread, to spread the word of God to the rest of the world. They, they were supposed to be God's channel to bring the light of his word to the rest of the nations. But the Jews became arrogant, believing that they were better off. And they took pride in the fact that they were Abraham's physical descendants. They didn't understand that God chosen to be a holy nation by grace, that they received the oracles of God by grace, and that God gave them circumcision as a sign of the covenant by grace. They missed that all that was by grace. And they thought that the fact that they were enjoying those bless, uh, blessings uh, were because they deserved it. 
And in verse 1 of chapter 3, they insist on being unlike the rest of the world. That's why Paul addresses the question about the value of circumcision. It is like they say, Paul, we have the circumcision. We are okay with God. But the thing is that they miss that there are two kinds of circumcisions, physical circumcision and spiritual circumcision. And God constantly reminded them that what matters is the circumcision of the heart. They missed that physical circumcision was meant to point them to their need for the spiritual circumcision of the heart. So since most of them missed the point of circumcision, their hearts grew arrogant, and, then, and they began to put their confidence in the flesh they, that they were physical descendants of Abraham and that God gave them his law. Instead of putting their trust in the common Messiah, whom the law and circumcision were pointing to. But Paul in verse 9 says that they are not better off. They also need the gods of grace, the, the, um, the grace of God, excuse me, to be justified. To create your own way to be justified and think that that makes you better than others is to reason in an evil way. Jews, the, the Jews used evil reasoning when they thought they were better off the Gentiles than the Gentiles. But the Jews here are not alone in this. They only show us the common struggle in every human heart. That is, the constant desire to be accepted by our human efforts. We constantly create our own way to be accepted by God to be loved by God, and to be justified before him when all that we need is Christ. In part, the problem of the Jews was a problem of identity. They based their identity on the wrong place. They bragged about being physical descendants of Abraham and overlooked that they needed Abraham's faith in the promised Messiah to be children, to be true children of Abraham. On what are you basing, uh, on what ground are you basing your identity? What are those things that make you feel confident? What makes you feel secure? Remember that in Christ, you were given a new identity. You do not need to look down on others. The identity that Christ gives you is that of a true Israelite. Because Christ is the true child of Abraham, he is the true Israel. So if you are in Christ and have the faith of Abraham, then you are a Jew. You are a spiritual descendant of Abraham. And therefore, you need to remember that your identity is not in the things that you have or you do, but in who you are in union with Christ, the true Israel. So do not, look for, <clears throat> do not look for a way to justify yourself outside Christ. 
But there is another thing that evil reasoning does, and this is my second point. Re evil reasoning dares to judge God. Evil reasoning dares to judge God. Kids, this is uh, the next, uh, the next uh, drawing that you are going to uh, draw is draw a mind filled with um, evil and dark thoughts. Feel, uh, draw a mind filled uh, with evil and dark thoughts. After looking down on others, evil reasoning will also dare to bring God himself to the judgment seat. It is the infamous exchange. The unrighteous, wicked men judging the holy, glorious, and most blessed one. Notice the progression here that goes from judging man to judging God himself. The question in verse 3, what is somewhere unfaithful? Does their unfaithfulness nullify the faithfulness of God? This question actually aims to demonstrate on uh, Paul's um, enemies that God, in fact, has been unfaithful to his people, Israel. Now, to see the connection between the question and the pre uh, this question, I'm sorry, and the previous one, we need to understand that the oracles of God were about Christ. He was the substance of them. As Matthew Henry puts it, the oracles of God, that is the scriptures of the Old Testament, and especially the law of Moses, those types, promises, and prophecies of the Old Testament, all of them were about Christ. In other words, the oracles were meant to point, to foreshadow, and to communicate Christ to the Jews in the Old Testament. But some didn't believe. What conclusion should we draw from this? What does this say about God, the giver of those oracles? And the conclusion, again, that the question suggests is that God is unfaithful to his word, to his promises, and to his oracles. So to, to this argument, Paul answers with a resounding no. The faithfulness, the, I'm sorry, the unfaithfulness of his people does not leave inactive God's promises of bringing a Messiah in the fullness of time. And then Paul adds a short but robust description of who God is. Let God be true and every man a liar. Notice that our text does not say that God has truth in him, but rather that he is true. That is, the very nature of God, the essence of God, is true. Truth is not something God added to himself. Instead, it is the very nature and perfection of who he is. And also, in sharp juxtaposition to God is true, Paul says that every man is a liar. In other words, Paul chose the sin of lying lying to describe man's sinful nature. He uses a figure of speech in which a part presents, represents the whole. Why a lie and not any other sin? Well, I think uh, this means that there is always a form of lying in every sin we commit. Every time we sin, 
we believe in a lie. If we believe in a lie, we do not believe certain truth of the gospel. Are you struggling with a particular sin that is becoming a pattern in your life? Then ask yourself, what gospel truth do I not believe and what lie am I embracing today that is dragging me down to sin? And when God, by his grace, shows you the lie that you are believing, confess it, repent, and preach the gospel truth that will replace that lie. Okay, so going back to God is true, in support to this um, statement that God is true, Paul quotes one of the most famous passages in the Old Testament, Psalm 51, verse 4. And he quotes from the Septuagint, which renders the idea that God is the one being judged. God is the one being judged. And our text uh, says that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. And the idea of the text here is that God himself goes to trial and comes out of it vindicated, clean, guiltless, completely absolved and acquitted. But who is judging God? Who is judging him? Yes, sinners are judging him. Think about this and let it sink into your mind. The righteousness of all the, the I'm sorry, the righteous of all the earth, the purest of her, the standard of good and truth, the one who dwells in unapproachable light is brought to be judged by a liar man, to be questioned about his precedes and his ways. Do you see how evil and sinful is the sin of humanity? Such a prideful and arrogant attitude of us to think that we can question God's divine prerogatives. But you know, we do it. And we do it more often than we would like to admit. For example, when we didn't pass the exam, when we didn't get that job that we really, really wanted, or when my difficult circumstances do not change, we are tempted to say, God, your ways are not fair. Let me illustrate this the following way. Last March 1st, just four days ago, Maurice Hastin heard the following words. You deserve to hear, uh, I'm sorry, you deserve to hear in a public courtroom that you, in fact, were not guilty of crime. And with that request, and with that request to the court comes an apology a long overdue apology. Hastings' attorney said that Hastings survived a nightmare. He spent nearly four decades, decades in prison, exha uh, exhausting every avenue to prove his innocence while being repeatedly denied. He was wrongfully accused of murder and prosecutors sought the death of penalty. He was sentenced in 1988 to life in a state prison without the possibility of parole. 
Hassin spent over 38 years in state prison. He maintained his innocence all along. But on March 1st, 2023, Hastin was found factually innocent of a murder he didn't commit after he spent nearly four decades in prison trying to convince his prosecutor to test DNA that proved his innocence. Can you imagine what would it be to spend 38 years of your life in a prison knowing that you that you were innocent and that no one believes you. What a waste of time. A lot of things happens in between. When his mom died, he couldn't attend the funeral. 38 Christmas in jail. What a sense of injustice, right? Don't you think? Well, that's what Jews are doing here by bringing God to the judgment seat. And you might say, well, this didn't happen. Paul is just imagining himself that he is arguing with his fellow Jews. But this really didn't happen. But let me point you to the, the, let me point you to the event that changed the history of the world. In the time of Pontius Pilate, Jesus the Son of God, what brought to court to be judged for, sin, for sins he did not commit. And sinful men place their dirty hands on the holy Messiah of God. He was treated as one of the worst sinners. He wasn't even able to defend himself from his accuser. And even when he was righteous, he died. And on the third day, he rose from the dead, which is God's vindicating act upon his beloved son that declared him Lord of all. He was justified in his word. That, that is, that he was the son of God. And he prevailed when he was judged. He became clean and blameless because he was the perfect covenant, the perfect law keeper. So even when evil men dare to judge God, God will always prevail. The proof of that, the proof of that is the cross and the resurrection of Christ. After considering the infamous idea of bringing God to the judgment seat, let us consider our last point. Evil reasoning hates God's glory. Evil reasoning hates God's glory. Kids, draw the same people in, 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 uh, that you draw in the first place, but instead uh, they are now friends and seeing each other as equals. So in this last section, I will merge three questions from verses 5 through 8 where Paul deals, uh, deals with similar questions. And in a nutshell, the three questions suggest that God, listen to, listen to this, the three questions suggest that God takes advantage of evil to bring glory to his name. God wouldn't be righteous, good, and loving if this were the case. 
Look at the parallelism of the three questions. In verse 5, but if our, if our unrighteousness serves to show, this is the, the key phrase, if our unrighteousness serves to show the unrighteousness of God. And then in verse 7, but if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, this is the other key phrase, God's truth abounds to his glory. And then in verse 8, which is more like a conclusion, but I think you can still see the parallelism. Why not do evil that good may come? So the evil logic in these three questions is that the more unrighteous I am, the more God's righteousness is shown. The more I lie, the more God's truth abounds. And the more he is glorified as well. And that must be something good. So in conclusion, let us do more evil so that more good may come. So do you see the evil of these three questions? And the charge against God is that God is not righteous, he is not true, and he is not good. And put another way, God is advantageous, he is selfish, and he is wicked. He is advantageous because he takes occasion, occasion of our sin to show himself righteous. And he is selfish because he only thinks about bringing glory to his name. It all has to be about himself. And then he is wicked because he uses our evil deeds to bring good out of them to benefit himself. This, friends, is dark, evil reasoning. This is not any kind of slanderous sin against God. This is blasphemy. And blasphemy in Scripture usually signifies the highest degree of slander, speaking ill of God, as some commentators put it. Now notice that Notice what unbelieving Jews are doing here. They are using the glory of God. They are using the glory of God as an excuse to continue sinning, as a license to sin. In other words, they find encouragement in God's attributes to sin more and continue living in sin. Do you see how sinister this way of thinking is? What's going on then in the hearts of these men who dare to reason this way? Well, a lot is happening there, but nothing of that which is happening in their hearts is related to the work of the Holy Spirit. This is a description of the sin against the grace of God. The theme that Paul will elaborate on in further detail in the upcoming chapters. Whoever finds encouragement in God's grace to sin more shows a lack of saving grace in his life. Whoever reasons God is more glorified, more glorified when I sin more does not or may not have regenerated mind and heart. Whoever reasons that he should go on with his sin because this produces glory to God 
it is actually, it's actually showing the lack of regenerating grace in his heart. Do you ever think these kind of thoughts against God? Have you ever thought about God this way? Do you think that the way you reason shows a lack of grace in your mind? Well, let me tell you that there are good news for you. The Bible says that if you, if you believe in Christ, you have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord to instruct him? And this is actually a quotation from the book of Isaiah. And then Paul says, But we have the mind of Christ. This means, friends, that if you believe in Christ, God, God gives you the ability to think God's thoughts after him. He enables you to think properly about him. Your mind as well as your body have also been redeemed by Christ. Question number two of the Westminster, uh, the, the short catechism says, how did Christ being the son of God became man? And the answer is Christ, the son of God became man by taking to himself a true body and a reasonable soul. By being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary and born of her, yet without sin. And the phrase that, of this uh, long answer that I would like to emphasize is the phrase that Christ became human by taking to himself a reasonable soul. This phrase means that Christ has a human Mind. And this is very important for us. Why is it important? Well, because if Jesus didn't have a human mind, he wouldn't be able to redeem our minds. In the early church, they used to say, what is not assumed cannot be redeemed. So that means that the sins of your minds can be redeemed because Jesus, the Son of God, became a man who also had a human, had a human mind. So you can be in peace that not only the sins that you have committed, but also the sins that could be the most respect, uh, respectable sins, those who nobody sees, those sins that only you know that there are in, in your mind can be also redeemed. In Christ, you have a new mind. You have Christ's mind. So the gospel teaches us that Christ has given us a new identity. He is the true Israelite, and therefore we are true Israelites as well because we are united to him. The gospel teaches us that Jesus, the Son of God, was judged for us and that we, so that we would not be judged. The gospel teaches us that we have the mind of Christ, to think God's thoughts after him and use our minds to glorify him. So let us now come to the table to celebrate that which we, that all this we have been given by his grace. Please stand up. <clears throat>